What's up, everybody? Welcome to the View from Jamestown podcast edition. This is episode 26, and I am sitting down this morning with Matt Modritzer from the SOCMA organization. Matt, good morning. Good morning, Ben. Thanks for having me. Big fan of the show. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Nice to to have you here this morning. Um, I guess kicking things right off, do you want to just do a little maybe intro on on SOCMA for anybody who's not familiar with it, and then maybe a little personal background on yourself and, and your background and what you do with SOCMA as well? Sure. Um, and thanks again, Ben. And, um, you know, thank you for your continued support of Sakman. So Sakma is the only U.S.-based trade association solely dedicated to the specialty and fine chemical industry. So um, Sakma members, as you know, uh, play an indispensable role in the global chemical supply chain, uh, providing specialty chemicals to companies in a range of different markets, everything from aerospace and electronics to uh, you know, farm, uh, pharmaceuticals and agriculture. So and actually since 1921, we've represented this uh, diverse membership of uh, small and medium-sized enterprises and also large chemical companies. So uh, members are located around the world, majority being domestic, um, encompass many segments of the industry, uh, producing intermediates, uh, specialty chemicals and ingredients used in, uh, again, a wide range of commercial and consumer products. So a lot of products that are essential to the uh, life, health, and kind of societal well-being. Sure, absolutely. Um, and how about how about yourself? What, what do you do with Sakma? And maybe a little background on yourself personally. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll um, so that's kind of high-level Sakma, and I'll kind of go into like I'm in the uh, government relations department. Okay. So our uh, from a GR standpoint, um, and I'll I'll just kind of briefly share kind of the um, the pillars of Sakma, but. Uh, GR is one of those. So we have trade, another EHS group that my colleague Jared manages, um, along with legal and value chain. So uh, we also have an EHS and S management program with uh, chemical operator training and certifications. Uh, that's called Chem Stewards. And then we also have a B2B program called Lead Sheets, which is kind of like a clearinghouse for tolling manufacturers. So, and that's you know what that's what specialty chemistry really is. So where a um, uh, commodity chemicals are kind of fungible. They're lar- large volume with minimal variation uh, from producer to producer. Um, SOCMA, especially chemical members, brought a service, and that's namely that cost-effective solution to what a, uh, customer a- what a customer's applications are. So um, specialty chemical companies stress making what the customer wants uh, as opposed to not what the plant can make. So it's often small batches, um, sp- specific performance demands, and that's uh, trade-wise, that's kind of one of the reasons why shifting sourcing on a dime is often uh, disproportionately burdensome. So um, that's SOCMA in a nutshell. Uh, my background, I grew up in KC, and then I went on to uh, undergrad and law school in Missouri where I got an emphasis in environmental law. And uh, I'm actually going back there this weekend. The uh, little brother's graduating from college Very uh, nice. in Missouri. Con- so, con- so congratulations. To, Very nice. Thank you. Yep, I'll relay that to him. But, yeah, so it would be good to see family and all that. Um, so then I took the bar in Colorado, and I started working in-house for Hawk Company. I don't know if, if you're familiar. They manufacture water quality testing instrumentation. Okay. Um, and they also manufacture uh, specialty chemicals that go into that instrumentation. So and then provide those testing uh, instruments to, you know, municipalities and a a range of other industries. Uh, So that was my first experience with EHS. And I actually, while I was there, I actually sat across from a customs broker too. Um, So that was very useful in in what I'm doing now, trade with SOCMA. So then I moved to uh, DC and I was fortunate to be put in touch with SOCMA where I inherited this international trade committee um, and have been at SACMA in, in D.C. going on two years now. Very nice, very and, nice. And then, Ben, I'll, uh, also, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout-out to uh, one of the reasons why our committee is so active on the uh, on these trade policy environments, and that's our uh, committee chairman, Jim DeLisi, who is, I don't know if you're familiar with ITAC-3. It's the Industry Trade Advisory Council on Chemicals, um, Pharmaceuticals, and Health Science Products. Um, and they basically formulate, they work with the Department of Commerce and USTR to formulate uh, U.S. trade policy for chemicals. And so our trade committee chairman is also chairman of that committee. 
so just an invaluable resource and um you know just very lucky to have access to jim's wealth of uh, knowledge in the chemical trade space yeah yeah absolutely i know just being on the tcc side you know we had a, a guy for a while working very closely with you guys and it's been an invaluable resource as you know these tariff announcements keep coming and going over the last probably 18 months now uh, so i know a lot of the content you guys are putting out and, and things you guys are staying on top of from a from a business side is incredibly valuable yeah glad to hear it yep keeping busy um glad to hear it's you find it valuable yeah sure thing um, and jumping right into you know the, the main topic we're we're talking about here with the global tariff update, global ta- uh, trade update, it's all, it's almost funny in a way, maybe a disappointing way, but in a way where you know we've had this podcast scheduled now for four or five weeks. Um, you know, it's now mid-May, and I guess at that time we we're kind of looking for an update. And now, obviously, the last week to two weeks, you know, stuff has kind of hit the fan a little bit. So certainly good timing, I think, to to have this discussion and talk about what's going on. Um, and I guess just, you know, kind of jumping right into it to kind of keep it a little bit more specific. I know the, the first topic we had listed was the U.S. and uh, European Union Airbus dispute and tariffs. You want to run through that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. So the U.S. and EU have proposed new tariffs, uh, and that's following a recent World Trade Organization finding that the EU basically breached its uh, WTO obligations by subsidizing uh, Airbus. So... Um, and the EU also proposed tariffs on U.S. origin chemicals, but EU tariffs would be implemented May 2020 at the earliest. So um, the U.S. list, which at this stage is the more legitimate list, uh, more time-sensitive list, that largely excludes chemicals. But the EU list, um, and it's not a retaliatory list, you know, in the sense of the China type stuff, because the U.S. may have subsidized Boeing. We don't really know yet. But the EU list um, has proposed tariffs on $3 billion worth of U.S. Uh, origin chemical tariff lines. Um, so that's a big deal for some of our members in the agro, uh, pharma, and uh, pigment space. And so comments to the EU are due by May 31st, end of the month. And those need to be made by companies with an EU presence. So we're just kind of um, facilitating members with an EU footprint to uh, go through that process and communicate those burdens. But um, the hearings for the U.S. are actually this week, and the deadline to submit comments to the U.S. is May 28th. So, um, and I I guess I can go into the background a little bit. So April 9, U.S. publishes a uh, seven-page list of EU products, and this is to counteract that uh, $11 of harm allegedly caused by EU subsidies to Airbus. So, again, chemicals only make up about 3%. Of that 11 billion total of the imports listed, and that's various um, like resinoids and essential oils. Nothing too major there. Maybe more of a big deal for chemical distributors than manufacturers. But um, so then the EU responds with that proposed list on I think it was roughly 20 billion worth of U.S. imports, and again 3 billion worth of U.S. chemicals captured. So uh, in this proposed list comes in anticipation of a WTO ruling that the U.S. improperly subsidized Boeing. So that decision hasn't been made yet. This is kind of a, um, you know, something the EU has in their chamber just in case they get a favorable ruling there. But so um, our initial analysis showed that chemicals and plastics are about 15% of that and um, impacts to pigments, agro, and pharmaceuticals. So, um, but... You know, the tariff rate is undecided because we're still waiting on the WTO decision. Um, and it's still undecided whether the EU can tariff U.S. chemicals at all. Uh, so just waiting for that final arbiter's decision, kind of in accordance with WTO settlement proceedings. And I think a U.S. decision is expected this summer and a EU decision in May 2020. So um, in that decision, it's going to uh, the decision whether or not to levy tariffs is going to come into play into uh, these upcoming trade negotiations between the U.S. and EU. And I think a delegation of EU officials recently came to Washington to create a um, just create an agenda ahead of negotiations. And uh, the goal is to finalize a free trade agreement before the end of this European Commission, which is in office in office through October. And that's for um, and also and then those tariffs include products that are actually manufactured in the U.S. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, and I, you know, if anybody, any listeners want access to these lists, 
they're all publicly accessible, but feel free to, uh, my contact information will be on this, so feel free to follow up with me and I can provide those to you. So, but also, um, USCR and the Trump administration has been busy this morning. One of the three things that uh, happened just this morning, actually late Thursday night, but um, so the auto 232 executive order came out that the Trump administration is uh, delaying for six months a decision whether to uh, tariff European and Japanese autos um, while, ne while negotiations take place, basically. Um, so that was some big news this morning, but it's kind of like the uh, China Section 301 tariff situations where negotiations in an agreement may eventually moot the need to advocate for uh, delistings and exclusions. But nevertheless, you know, you still got to proactively um, comment and testify if you can and just kind of communicate these burdens to um, USTR and the uh, the foreign counterparts. So, And I assume um, that would be considered a, a positive thing, the fact that those tariffs were delayed? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. yep. I was in a meeting this morning, and that was kind of the main uh, the main issue. And I guess just um, just to put it out there too, just so everyone knows, so today's May seventeenth. I always find when I listen to podcasts, you're trying to figure out you know the timeline of of when this stuff was. So today's Friday, May seventeenth. This episode should be live in the next couple of days. Um, but just so people are wondering the timeliness of things, this is this is what we're basing it off of. Absolutely, very fluid situation. So. You know, before you rely on this for, you know, business or legal advice, maybe reach out to Ben and I so we can verify that things haven't changed. You know, we're covering Brexit. It's a great example of. Yeah, um, this, at this rate, maybe, this, this may need to be a daily podcast at this rate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. That's kind of the situation with EU, U.S. Airbus, and it's it's just one of these issues that we work through the SACMA International Trade Committee. So, And this will be something specifically regarding this situation that we'll start to hear more about kind of as the summer goes on, maybe after May, maybe June, July, something like that. Yep, absolutely. Um, expect that first uh, WTO decision on whether, um, you know, how much the U.S. can tariff the EU um, this summer. Sure, yep. sure. Yeah, the next big topic we had on the list was the miscellaneous tariff bill, which I know is something we've talked about um, on our own TCC podcast with some of our regulatory folks and regulatory conversations we've had in the past. Um, but maybe kind of explain the miscellaneous tariff bill or MTB, um, kind of explain what it is and, and some of the recent updates on that. Yep. So uh, like you said, Ben, MTB stands for miscellaneous tariff bill. Uh, and MTB is essentially a measure that if it's enacted by Congress. It creates temporary provisions in uh, Harmonized Tariff Schedule Chapter 99 um, and suspends or reduces those most favored nation uh, duties on, but it's specific classes of imported products. So, and any U.S. importer can take advantage of the suspension. It's not just the petitioning company or individual, but it's a big deal for the specialty chemicals industry. For example, in the last MTB cycle, the one that's currently in effect, uh, chemicals made up over 1,000 of the roughly 1,700 petitions um, that were vetted and cleared for relief by the U.S. International Trade Commission. So uh, that current cycle, um, chemicals make up about 56% of the total savings from MTB, and that's just over $500 million. So, again, it's a big deal for the industry. Um, I mean, quite often these uh, – the sources of the products covered by MTB, you know, they also offer similar finished products into the market. And so SOCMA members are forced to compete with their intermediate suppliers in the domestic market as well as export markets. And that's especially the case with NAFTA where um, neither it nor the NAFTA 2.0 USMCA allows for duty drawback. So any level of tariff collected in such an instance just uh, – you know, from the onset, places U.S.-based production at a severe disadvantage. Um, another piece to it is the existing process caps the maximum level of savings for an individual product at 500000 per year, something we are looking into um, modifying. But it, it's, it's really a bipartisan issue, meaning as long as U.S. industry isn't supplanting or replacing domestic inputs, like why shouldn't they have – why should they have to pay tariffs on inputs – that they need uh, for the production of U.S. goods and staying competitive. So it, it's really a no-brainer, and it finally passed under unanimous consent, uh, signed by President Trump in 2018, um, and that's that second cycle, which is in effect, which um, 
um, you, you basically just need to reference the HTS 9900 number on import declarations. And that, that $500,000 number, can you explain that a little bit, what that means? Yeah, so it, it's just a maximum level of savings for an individual product. So basically, savings for each um, uh, importer trying to take advantage of this is capped. So, um, so that would be $500,000 of otherwise duty that would be paid. Yep, Got exactly. It. Got it. And, and so, and I'll, Ben, I'll touch on that uh, again in just a minute here. Okay. Um, because it is it is an interesting piece of it and something we're um, kind of wrestling with. But so MTBs are authorized under the American Manufacturing Competitiveness Act of 2016. And so the AMCA actually only authorizes three cycles of relief. And the third and final cycle begins this October. So at SOCMA, what we're doing is kind of um, launching this campaign to assist members with filing MP, uh, MTB petitions with the U.S. International Trade um, Committee's portal. And it's actually, you know, we hear uh, all this stuff going on right now with China and um, trying to get exclusions from list one and two and get exclusions from 232 auto tariffs and um, just, just the lack of transparency and the lack of visibility into uh, their criteria for assessing these, but actually the USITC process, it's, it's very transparent and it's a very thorough vetting process. And uh, given the um, degree of th that members use this legislation, it's really grateful to the ITC for that. So sure. again, th that begins in October of 2019. Um, and then it kind of goes through these, um, it's like a public comment process where uh, companies that, you know, say they want to produce it domestically, they can file adverse comments and say, hey, you know, what, um, don't give tariff relief. That's going to incentivize um, companies sourcing it from uh, foreign uh, as opposed to domestic, and we want to make this. So that's kind of what makes it all work. Yeah, um, that's, so a, then, that's, a, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, almost the, the opposite side of that where – you know, in terms of trying to stir new U.S. production, you know, a company can ad, uh, you know adversely try to you know not not get things to be approved, so that you know obviously make it a, a better playing field for them. That's that's one point of view I hadn't hadn't thought about before. Yeah, and the USITC is is really good about notifying the original uh, submitter of the petition that hey, this company says they can make it. You know, right. in contact with them. Yep. So, yep. And that's not always the case with other processes. So, um, and then. It, uh, so, you know, commerce gets it at a certain point. They go through various, they, they make sure it's not supplanting domestic production. And then, so we're looking at a congressional vote, um, probably fall, winter 2020. And this is for duty relief for 2021, 22, and 23. So, um, that, and that's that third batch under, under the AMCA. So something really interesting that Sockman is doing now as of, couple months ago. Um, so we're engaging the USITC and Congress kind of planting seeds, um, trying to enable permanent duty suspensions and reductions um, because, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be over within uh, come 2023. So um, and we are advocating for this by uh, basically what would happen is Congress would modify the name of the intermediate chemicals for dyes appendix to the duty-free chemicals appendix the duty-free chemicals appendix. So, and that's to the U.S. harmonized tariff schedule. So, and again, I just got to give uh, credit here to Jim DeLacy, who again is our uh, trade chairman. This is really his brainchild. Um, but anywho, so the key to permanent relief is targeting products that uh, the U.S. economy needs to prosper. But at the same time, you can't dilute USTR's leverage in the international forum. So since most of these six and eight digit uh, tariff lines are basket categories, Permanent suspensions can't be made through the tariff schedules themselves because you would adversely affect kind of too many other um, U.S. interests that are contained in those tariff lines. So basically, we submitted uh, legislative language to enable permanent reductions in suspensions for appropriate products through that vehicle that already exists, that um, intermediate chemicals for dyes appendix. So, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a little background. Two, so, two, two good criteria. Go two good criteria there too, with the, um, you know, not something that the U.S. needs to prosper, as well as something that's not going to adversely affect trade. Those are two kind of good, I guess, generic ways of explaining it with with what the end goals are for these tariffs. 
Yeah, and um, you know, it, it wouldn't be as heavy as, as a lift um, because the mechanism that dies appendix already exists. You would just need Congress to change the name of it. Got it. And I mean, you know, chemicals make up half of MTB petitions. So just right there, the goal of uh, permanent duty suspensions is in sight. So, And I assume this, this may be the case for each of the topics we're going to talk about, but any further explanation or info can be found by reaching out to you um, or, I guess, visiting the, the SOCMA website and, and seeing what resources are available there. Absolutely. Yep. And, and of course, anybody so, listening, you know, scroll down wherever you're, you're streaming this on. We'll have Matt's contact info right there, email and phone number you know, to, to reach out and get some more info. Absolutely. Yep. So a uh, little background, just because, you know, I, not everyone knows what a, um appendix is to the U.S. tariff schedule. So when the Uruguay uh, round trade agreement was finalized, uh, President Clinton actually sent a message to Congress in uh, 1994, and it contained details of the agreement, and included in that were two new uh, major annexes to the U.S. tariff schedules. So one was the uh, pharmaceutical appendix, and the other is this dyes intermediate appendix. And this pharma appendix, for example, has been vital uh, for the health of the pharmaceutical industry, and also includes an international process to update the appendix every three years. So, um, you know, by changing the name to the duty-free uh, chemicals appendix. And then like we discussed, you got to allow for those regular updates that um, satisfies the letter and spirit of the AMCA's uh, vetting process. Um, uh, the goal of permanent duty suspensions is uh, realistic. So like competitors in the EU, for example, have had a, a program in place like this for decades. And so this would really put U.S. producers on a level playing field. Yeah, it sounds like a, um, a, a great conversation that's happening, and hopefully we see something that, that moves forward. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, like I said, we testified, commented on this to the USITC, and just the other week we had our um, in-person trade uh, meeting, and we're having another fly-in in September. But um, we ran this legislative language by the House Ways and Means Committee because, again, it would still have to go through Congress, but the mechanism already exists. So, um much lighter lift, and we're also building a coalition with other trade groups in D.C. and just going to get more active as it becomes more relevant um, ahead of the current batches expiration. Sure. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of things happening, maybe more in the in the background than, than up front, but a lot of good conversations and things happening with, with you guys and other trade groups around D.C. and just looking to, to make the industry the best that it can be. Yeah. You know, it, with all this trade uncertainty, there's always little wrinkles where we can try and get in and improve conditions for members. So this is sure. a good example of one. Yeah, the next next big topic we had is is Brexit. Um, a, lot of, a lot of big topics, a lot kind of going on with each of these topics, obviously, and we're trying to give the best overview we can, um, kind of update on what's happening. But what's the, what's the latest with the Brexit situation? Latest with the Brexit. So as you know, extended to Halloween, October 31st, 2019. Um, and then the EU review in June 2019, that's it's kind of a deadline in itself, but, uh, you know, no fundamental changes, really. Theresa May still needs a broader coalition of interests in the House of Commons to pass the withdrawal agreement within the prescribed time. So, I mean, it's just been extended again, that's all. So I think the ECA um, portal is going to remain open to transfer registrations, and that's really, you know, the main chemical concern. So, transfer those registrations to non-UK uh, ORs, only representatives. Yeah, that was going to be uh, my next kind of follow-up question is how that would or would not affect people doing business with, um, you know, that region as well as people that are buying products that come out of that region. You know, is, is there major implications with the uncertainty as well as if it, you know, goes one way or the other? Absolutely. Like, you know, it was just, what, two or three weeks ago we heard that a customs union was uh, – in the works, but apparently that's not the case anymore and talks have kind of broken down. But yeah, ECA, you know, it's, it recommends companies prepare for UK withdrawal without that transit transition period. So it's kind of the um, hope for the best, plan for the worst type scenario. But um, you just use ECA's IT tools before the Brexit date, basically. So if an uh, only representative isn't appointed, the EU 27 importers are going to have to submit their own registration. So and I think I saw yesterday that um, if Theresa May loses her, you know, she doesn't get the withdrawal agreement through uh, the House of Commons again for the fourth time, uh, she's going to resign, actually. She can't formally be challenged um, until December. 
but I think she said that she's going to resign um, if it doesn't get through a fourth time. So, so that's the I next. Think that's, that's, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's going to be early June. If that was going to be your question, got it. So, um, so the so the next big deadline is that October thirty first date. There's not really much to to see or wait for before that. Yep, that's Brexit date. Um, but the EU review in June twenty nineteen. So. There's this whole thing of passing the withdrawal agreement before European parliamentary uh, elections. So if um, the withdrawal is not passed by then, Britain must take part in these elections. So it, it's, you know, like you said, it's EU membership is due to end on October 31st with or without a deal. But I think if the UK doesn't take part in the elections and hasn't ratified an exit deal, um, Britain might leave with, um, without an agreement on June 1st, something like that. Got it. So we're looking more um, like like I, June next couple of weeks. We should see some some big news coming out of there. Exactly. June's going to be a um, yep big ticket month for that. Got it. Um, and I, you know I'm not steeped on this. I try, I try and keep up. Sure. Uh, but it's um, you know it seems like there's going to be might be a new prime minister. Um, I don't know if that solves things, but, but kind of where we more fit in is. Uh, we commented on the um, U.S. negotiating objectives with the U.K. You know, if and when the U.K. successfully leaves the EU and is able to negotiate a trade agreement with the U.S. during that transition period. Got it. Um, so, I, I mean, I can briefly touch on our five uh, main takeaways from those comments. So, uh, obviously, eliminate tariffs on specialty chemical products. So those are in Harmonized Tariff Schedule Chapters 28 through 39. Um, you know, a lot of this... Uh, Specialty chemicals trade is intracompany, um, and so the benefits of tariff elimination would just be quickly felt soon after the agreement's entry into force. Um, but uh, so our second one was incorporating USMCA, uh, that's that US-Mexico-Canada agreement uh, style chemical rules of origin, with a couple exceptions. But so the those updates drastically improve conditions for the vast majority of our sectors and really should be utilized in future uh, free trade agreements, including in the U.S.-U.K. Um, the exceptions would be, uh, and this is fairly technical, but just a leading reference to value content, content tests um, for the specialty chemical sector and also um, exceptions language in 3206, 3212. But um, third one, eliminate technical barriers to trade. You know, easier said than done. Yep. Um, uh, protection of IP, including trade secrets, reach, you know, mandates certain test data be shared. Consequently, um, the agreement should promote transparency and safeguard data in a manner that allows uh, members to best innovate, knowing their investments are protected type thing. Um, and then uh, promoting regulatory cooperation. So just having... Uh, direct dialogue with ECA in order to ensure compliance uh, with REACH would really benefit the industry. So, I mean, regionally speaking, Western Europe is the U.S. chemical industry's largest source of chemical imports. So, uh, tremendous opportunities to create these efficiencies and just kind of build upon the um, regional trading relationships. So, And it sounds like it's a lot um, of stuff that's relatively you know, needs to go without saying or, or things that should be kind right, of common right. sense, but it's just a matter of actually, you know, making them happen and, you know, putting pen to paper. Yep. So I don't know if a new prime minister is going to solve the crisis. We'll see what happens with this fourth try um, week of June 3rd, but I think it's more of a formality and uh, I've heard talks have broken down in the last couple of days. So, Got it. Um, so something to keep an we'll eye on for the, the next custom- next few weeks and yeah. go, yeah. go from there. Yeah. We'll, 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 We'll see what happens. Yep. Sure thing. Um, next, next big topic we have on the list. Obviously, I think goes without saying. Most people should be familiar with this at least by now. Um, is the situation between the U.S. and China on trade? Um, we have a, a couple of representatives over at the APIC, uh, the Chemical Conference in Asia, in uh, mm-hmm. Taipei this week. Um, so we're starting to hear some feedback from them and, and comments on them, kind of from an Asian perspective. Um, but what's the what's the latest on China? Um, I know that's a that's a fun question to ask. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, Loaded question, Ben. Yes, yes. So what's yep. what's what's the latest uh, within the last couple of days or weeks here? Uh, a lot of different pieces here. So I saw this morning um, they are now imposed or threatened tariffs on about 91 percent of all goods from China. So now the three big ticket items for SACMA. 
Number one, uh, list three, increase rates in the forthcoming process for product exclusion requests. Number two is the U.S. list four, and number three is China retaliation. And that number two, uh, U.S. list four, that was just published this morning, actually. So, and we, just to and that, just just to make sure we're hearing it right, so the ninety-one percent is products coming from China or from the U.S. From China. From China. So this was announced by the U.S. Yep, Got Chinese it. origin um, chemicals. Got it. Yep. Um, which there are imposed or um, proposed tariffs on essentially all Chinese origin chemicals at this point, um, as of this morning. So um, I'll try. I'll try and set the stage a little bit, leading up to the current escalation, and then kind of dig a little deeper into potential impacts to various uh, specialty chemical sectors, and then what companies can do to mitigate um, exposure to these Section 301 tariffs and retaliation. Sure. Does that yeah. sound good? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So our first um, main argument to USCR was that delisting these chemicals is going to hinder China's Made in China 2025 policy. So that's the administration's goal um, in all this. So for years... Um, China has actually been incentivizing manufacturers to move up the value chain. Um, for example, many products uh, in the past have had export, subs export subsidies, but kind of these lower products on the uh, value chain lost these subsidies years ago. So uh, roughly half of the overall goods imported from China are inputs. Uh, it, you know, every, nearly every line item in H HTS chapters 28 and 29 um, organics and inorganics, by definition, is an input that uh, manufacturers import and then use to manufacture new chemicals. So putting tariffs onto raw materials or intermediates coming into the U.S., the, the administration is just aiding the Chinese plan for 2025. So, and I mean, the Chinese may be happy to see this low-end manufacturing leave China, but I'm sure they'd rather do it on their own way and not at President Trump's pace. So, um, regarding chemicals, a total of 1,517 chemical and plastic imports from China, uh, valued at 15 billion, have now been targeted by three rounds of U.S. tariffs. And that's, I think I looked this morning, there's some, maybe like 115 other tariff lines um, on list four. So um, lots of, uh, uh, the U.S. list one, it originally had some uh, pigment and pharmaceutical intermediates on it. Those were delisted. Uh, we filed comments and testified there on behalf of members. Uh, U.S. List 2, uh, lots of plastics on there, but the SOCMA members really cared about List 3 almost exclusively, and the rate on that um, just went to 25% uh, last Friday, May 10th. Yep. Yeah, no, we, so, put a, we put an email out about that and had made sure everyone was aware of that as best as possible, and that kind of announcement came through. Yeah, um, may, uh, very big deal. So uh, since nearly uh, all Chinese origin chemicals were on that. Um, so what we did, basically, we solicited members' imports and justifications for delisting because um, you can ask USTR to delist these for XYZ reasons. Um, and we also testified. And so we ended up with nearly uh, 50 pages of comments to USTR um, asking that basically that chemical chapters be delisted and um, in the event that those can't be delisted, um, we had over 40 pages of specific chemical subheadings um, that members import along with justifications for delisting. So I mean, it really goes to show how big a deal it was for the industry and how interdependent the supply chains are, as you know. But, um, and also the U.S. Chamber actually came out with a study that uh, found tariffs impact chemical manufacturers third most behind uh, ag and autos and auto parts. Wow. So kind of one of these things, you know, you hear about ag and autos all the time, but we're really trying to get um, – uh, be a voice for the industry regarding just how burdensome this can be. So Yeah, it's great. It's uh, great having that mechanism there and obviously good to make people aware as best as possible that that exists to, you know, hopefully as we're – you're submitting these um, – these lists and these products and these notes from these all these companies, it's you know making a difference and at least being being weighed as a factor when um, you know the the powers that be are are discussing these and, and discussing the impact that it might make. Absolutely, and I can provide those uh, you know comments to you, Ben, and we can put them in the resources section. Um, so, and then after this comment period on list three, when it was finalized in September of 2018, 
uh, we were kind of happy to see, all things considered, that chemicals actually made up nearly half of all delisted tariff lines, which it just really illustrates a lack of sourcing alternatives for the industry. Because, um, you know, as you know, getting into specialty chemicals, again, it's they're just made to for particular purity, you know, quality, performance demands for a bunch of different downstream sectors. So given these rigid quality standards, uh, alternative sources are just extremely finite. And for most industry sectors, tariffs mean shifting sourcing, which uh, results in a rise for the price of imports. But for chemicals, it's, it's just not possible all the time. So, um, you know, chemical manufacturing requires very costly, specialized infrastructure and expertise. Uh, there's regulatory burdens, need for uh, significant capital investment, um, and just the speed or lack thereof by EPA and permanent pollution system. Uh, approvals for new sources of these ingredients. It, it just makes for a slow process, and often it's, it's just a non-starter. So, yeah, I was going to say that's a that's a big piece of it too is the approval of actual material. Um, you know, price is obviously a big deal. Supply chain availability is a big deal, but especially if companies have been using a certain product that's produced in China for a long time. You know, especially in some some industries like pharma and automotive, where it can take two three years to approve a new product. You know, there there's not going to be much other. Um, option except for you know to pretty much eat the tariff while they can try to formulate new you know new new ideas for supply and things like that. So that that approval process is certainly a big part of that on the you know on the chemical manufacturer side and something to certainly keep an eye on. Um, and kind of goes to show the importance of having you know multiple approved sources of supply as as best you can. Absolutely, yep. And we uh, were actually quoted in a CNN article the other day because you know President Trump. Um, he wants to repatriate all this manufacturing, um, but uh, chemicals is just a great example of where it's it's just not always possible. Like yeah. That. Yep. Um, so we did sector uh, specific dives on you know agrochemical active ingredients, performance chemicals, um, active pharmaceutical ingredients, and in comments and testimony, just kind of really stress particular pain points uh, this creates for batch chemistry. So. Um, I mean, all this to say, we we support the administration's aim to reach zero tariffs, right? But it, it's just imposing this kind of taxation, especially with a list three increase, um, and it's exacerbated by retaliatory tariffs. It's just not the proper method to achieve that goal, and, and really hurts small and medium-sized companies in the meantime. And for I guess people that are anywhere from you know loosely familiar with these tariff situations all the way up to you know if companies have experts on the situation um what are some of the best resources to keep an eye on the the most up-to-date tariff um you know situation updates actual you know what's what the tariffs are on certain products things like that what are what are some of the best resources that you can recommend to you know, companies like you know even like tcc and, and other distribution companies and domestic manufacturers what are some of the best resources you guys are are using and recommending Yep. So you can obviously find, um, you know, various law firms, and uh, we publish uh, uh, press statements and things on our website. Um, but really, you just got to dig into the um, the listed products in the Federal Register notice. So it really helps to sign up for the pre-publications of those notices um, through the register, and, and just dig into those. And kind of just depending on the sector that you're in. Um, looking at the various chapters, you know, whether 28 through um, 38, um, just kind of getting into yourself. But, you know, leaning on trade groups like SACMA is a good way to do it. Um, yeah, and I guess just to, uh, this will probably be the case with every, you know, topic we're talking about, but, you know, I assume people can reach out to you and you can kind of put them in the right direction for some, you know, more downstream kind of sector-specific info. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, and I can actually get into, you know, I'll briefly touch on it in a bit, but, um, so the the main thing on the list three rate increase was um, the word and in the annex language. And Ben, you might have heard of this, but it, it basically meant that goods currently on the water, um, and this was back uh, like a week and a half ago, um, won't be subject to that tariff increase since they were exported prior to May 10th. Um, and this, this decision to exempt goods in transit, it's, it's kind of rarely offered by U.S. administrations. And it lent industry this very short window of reprieve to adjust supply chains, um, uh, kind of while negotiations continue. But so we try to notify members as uh, soon as possible um, and notify them to consider uh, just accelerating clearing processes or remove from bond materials needed in the in the short term, uh, kind of just on an urgent basis. 
So yeah, that was um, a that was a big piece to the. You know, we sent an article and we started. Or we sent a an email out and put a newsletter up on our website saying that saying, hey, you know, China tariffs are twenty five percent, and then kind of this big, you know, but if you already have stuff on the water, you know, you're not going to be subject to that, you know, kind of a. I guess a sign of good faith is the best way I guess to describe it that they that they included that language in there. Yeah, I you know that's why you know getting the pre-publication um, early is so important. You know, I'm sure most of the stuff was on the ships already, but um, China, for example, uh, kind of did the same thing, but with effective June first. Um, so, and we also said you know it's not unusual for containers from China to be transshipped through ports in Singapore or the Middle East or wherever. So just kind of urge members to keep that original bill of lading, um, make sure that stays with the shipment until it arrives in the U.S. just to take advantage of this brief opportunity. Yep, yep, certainly. Um, um, and what's uh, what's your guys' outlook on the, the China situation? Obviously, nobody can predict the future. You know, we've been having conversations for probably the last six months about our personal outlook on it. You know, we don't know any better than necessarily any other company does, but our kind of position has been that it's something that's probably going to be there for a little while. You know, I don't know if we necessarily expected it to go to 25%, but we were pretty confident that the 10% would kind of hang around while, you know, both China and the U.S. are trying to make a deal. And, you know, we're confident that China wasn't just going to take a deal, even if it was a bad deal. You know, they're, they're kind of bunkering down and are prepared to, to kind of wait it out. Um, but what are you guys seeing? What's kind of your loose position on, on what you see coming, you know, through 2019 and maybe getting into 2020? You know, it, um, so we have um, late June, President Xi and Trump are meeting at the G20 summit in Japan. Um, so that's, I, I think that's um, the next big date. I, it's going to be tough. Like you said, it, both sides are digging in. I mean, curbing uh, China's state capitalism, you know, subsidizing state-owned enterprises, IP theft, that's that's kind of why state capitalism works. So it, it's going to be hard and as things escalate and kind of get more protracted and it's going to be tough for each side to give way without looking weak. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, I was in the camp of um, anticipating a deal like kind of markets were, but um, it seems like, or I think Treasury Secretary Mnuchin said the other day that U.S. negotiators are going to go to Beijing soon, but then uh, Beijing just yesterday kind of pushed back and was like, well, you know, we, we don't really want to operate with um, these threats um, looming, similar to what they've done in the past. So Yep. Uh, I I think the the base case still isn't for an all out trade war, but um, aside what you know already is, but I think it's certainly a tail risk that markets are going to start pricing in. So that that end of June date, some probably the next big date to keep an eye on regarding the U S China situation and and see what comes out of those talks and maybe have a better idea of what the kind of mood is for the rest of 2019 after that. Yep, and, and that kind of brings me to list four because these list four dates. Um, to testify and comment, kind of co-inside co- with that expected meeting. Um, so, like, President Trump hasn't decided yet whether or not to impose less four, but he's going to have it at the ready if negotiations fail or stall um, leading up to or in that G20 meeting. Yep. Yep. Certainly makes sense. Yep. So, do you I mean- want me to... Get into list four briefly. Or? Sure. Yeah, maybe give a little uh, a brief overview of it of you know what we kind of know about it so far and and uh, your guys' outlook on that list. Yep. Oh, and actually, Ben, I'll just note the um, that USTR is creating a exclusion request process for list three. Okay. Uh, that that's expected in late May. So uh, a delisting is happens during the comment period, but a exclusion request happens after that list has been finalized and you get a refund on it. Sure. So it, it really is a huge deal for the industry that USTR is going to establish this list. So we're basically just going to help members um, file those, um, get, uh, provide guidance on what works, how many attachments to include. Um, and you really need specific numbers like the total cost of producing the final products that the Chinese imports account for, you know, your gross sales in 2017. So it's a lot of company-specific info, but if – the exclusion is granted. It's product specific, not company specific. So we make sure we, anytime exclusions are granted, we blast out um, a list of all those to membership to take advantage of. So um, list four published this morning uh, captures the rest of Chinese origin chemicals except certain pharmaceuticals and rare rare earths that have been deemed important to safety and security. So um, initial our initial analysis shows that. Uh, 
potential uh, big impacts to high volume agrochemicals. And also, interestingly, certain pigment intermediates that were previously delisted from list one are back on list four. So we're, right now we're just doing the same thing we did on list three, soliciting members' imports and justifications, um, you know, cast numbers, alternate sources, uh, shelf life of input, all these little justifications that go to whether or not um, your burden is disproportionate. So uh, June 10 deadline to request to testify and June 17 is a deadline for comments to USTR. So Got it. Um, that's that. That's the rest of the Chinese imports. Um, and that, sorry, Ben, were you going to say something? Um, yeah, so it's certainly good, a good overview on the whole situation. I know, like you said before, and it's kind of the best way to say it is it's such a fluid situation. You go to bed one night, you wake up the next night, and there's a whole new you know, list or, or you know, something coming down the pipeline that we're starting to hear rumors about. So it, it has been probably pretty unique, I would assume, based on past you know, kind of trade relations with things happening so quickly and, and trying to keep you know, ahead of all the different situations that are going on. Mm-hmm. And also just uh, last point is the Chinese retaliation. So um, after the list three rate increase, China on Monday retaliated by increasing rates on their $60 billion worth of U.S. products. And th- those four lists are currently tariffed at 5 and 10 percent. But so those are going to ratchet up. Um, and each four of these lists uh, contain chemicals. So these are U.S. origin chemicals being uh, shipped to China. Um, 25% tariff list on what, just over 2,000 items that has 344 chemicals, 20% tariff on uh, 1,000 items, 184 of those are chemicals, 10% tariff on another 1,000, 190 chemicals, 5% tariff uh, is going to remain on what is that, 600 items and about 270 chemicals. So, I mean, it's just, uh, you, you could be hit double, you know, if you get your imports from China, formulate, ship it back to China. It's just a nightmare depending on the sector that you're in. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, certainly an interesting thing to keep an eye on. I don't know, I know it doesn't necessarily affect our business personally, but I'm sure there are people that that's, you know, a piece of their business and it's something to, certainly a, a big number to keep an eye on. Yeah, so um, like the U.S., it, it doesn't apply to products in transit, um, we kind of got that exception, but uh, applies to goods leaving U.S. shores starting June 1st. And then the, China also did establish an exclusion request process. So if you have um, companies in China, basically, if uh, like a, um, it's not just wholly owned Chinese firms, but also uh, wholly foreign owned enterprises, joint ventures registered in China. Um, it's th- this process is kind of similar to the U.S. process for list one and two in terms of rationales for granting exclusions and duration and refund eligibility things like that. It, but it's just uh, you know through Chinese HTS codes. Yep, it's a big difference. So you can file an exclusion request um, from September second to October eighteenth. Okay, got it. Yep. So maybe we'll we'll include all those uh, deadlines and um, you know important dates down in the show notes as well. If you want to scroll down, check those out. Um, but certainly a good overview on China. I know things have been changing quickly, and appreciate the good overview. Um, and we'll we'll certainly see where where things shake out over the next couple months. Absolutely. Um, next next big topic we had listed was the the India situation. Um, you want to give a quick overview on that? Sure, sure. Uh, so India. GSP, Generalized System of Preferences, India and Turkey. So it's a good transition because, you know, it, uh, India is often the only other source of certain intermediates, but Indian sources may have quality issues or may not have sufficient quantities. Um, but in any event, it's a critical source of inputs for the industry. And the Trump administration, any day now, can remove India's preferential status from the Generalized System of Preferences. So uh, what is GSP? It, it basically allows developing countries to export thousands of goods to the U.S. without paying duties. So chemicals, it's usually the, the rate is usually 3 to 6.5%. So if a country in chemicals GSP eligible, that rate is waived uh, for Indian exporters and U.S. importers. Um, so there's about 5,000 tariff items that are eligible. Um, I mean, but the Trump administration really has made a point of being more proactive in determining whether – Countries are kind of obeying the criteria for participating in this decades-old program. So uh, we'll just start with Turkey. The Trump administration this morning formally kicked Turkey out of GSP program um, with a proclamation, That's, and it's effective today too. 
so that's, that, that that goes into effect today. That's actually in effect today. Effective today. Yep. Got it. Yep. Um, so the president announced in March that he was terminating benefits for Turkey um, because it, it's just basically outgrown the program, developing country-wise. Um, but India, on the other hand, that's more of a market access issue um, as opposed to developing country. But uh, Trump has yet to formally terminate India's participation in GSP. So. Um, for chemicals, a lot of raw materials are just not domestically available, therefore sourced from India. For example, um, I, I think roughly half of tariff lines in HCS Chapter 29 organic chemicals come GSP duty-free from India. So those are going to potentially revert to normal tariff status. Um, so it's talking about, you know, we try and do sector-specific analysis. So take pharma, for example. Um, if this happened in India, I, I think the impacts are pretty minimal considering uh, HCS Chapter 30 is GSP duty-free. So no impact for any prepared uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, most of the APIs in Chapter 29 are on the on, on that pharma zero for zero list and so no impact. Um, but there, uh, there may be some newer products uh, where they aren't on the list. And also um, it would impact pure uh, APAP and aspirin, which – are currently GSP uh, from India since they are not part of that pharma appendix. So um, sort of technical stuff, but once you break it down, it's, it's understandable. So, and Do you think um, that'll, that'll be something that'll hang around for a while too, or is that something you know Trump's kind of doing in, in advance of any meetings coming up, or, or what do you see the outlook on that? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think um, Secretary Ross visited India uh, May 6th through 8th with the Commerce Department, and for the uh, trade winds business form. So I, I think we expected to hear something soon if Ross kind of presented a, a, a trade package there. But so since Trump notified Congress uh, back in March, um, he, he can issue a proclamation terminating India's status any day now. Um, but the thing is, it's, it's kind of um, like Turkey, it's unclear whether the proclamation is going to be effective immediately. So like it could be formulated on X day with a stipulation that it takes effect X days hence. But as we saw this morning with Turkey, I think the normal course of business is that it comes fairly immediately thereafter. So, um, and also we're not, uh, we've heard that it, um, it's, it's kind of flexible in terms of the president's authority to slice and dice. I mean, it, it's not a, it's not a uh, all or nothing deal. And so there's a chance, um, albeit small that chemicals are excluded from removal. So, it's just lots of uncertainty here, and um, it's just an important piece that we're stressing to USGR, who we met with the other week. Um, India did ask for a 90-day postponement because they're dealing with the um, their 34-day process of electing parliament, and I don't think there's any word yet whether the um, Trump administration is going to, um, you know, regarding that request. But we'll see what happens in June when the new Indian government is in place, and right now we just kind of hope that the administration is kind of laying groundwork for re-engagement in the middle of the year. Sure. So. Yeah, no, I know each each of the three regions are obviously important, especially for U.S.-based um, companies. You know, even if maybe companies aren't directly purchasing from those regions, they're aware of what that pricing looks like and, you know, may use it as a competitive situation or, or trying to get lower prices from other regions or even domestic mm -hmm. manufacturers. So certainly an important thing to keep an eye on is, you know, could change prices by 3 or 6%, which, you know, depending on the product and the industry could be a, a major swing. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so certainly something to keep an eye on. Obviously, one of those things that are kind of too new to really know all the ins and outs of, but something that I'll, I'm sure we'll hear more about in the in the coming weeks and see what the situation is on that. Yes. Uh, we'll see come June. Yeah. And um, so the, the final big bullet point we have on our list is the USMCA or the, the NAFTA 2.0, as I think you referred to it earlier. Um, mm -hmm. something we've talked about in the past um, on our own podcast and some of our view episodes. We have uh, Javier Fernandez, who manages Latin America for us, um, obviously keeps an eye on that closely with, with business coming in and out of the States. Um, but what's the, what's the latest on the USMCA? Latest on USMCA. So uh, as you probably know, President Trump called it his biggest legislative uh, agenda item of the year. So big deal for all trade groups in D.C. getting this across the finish line. Um, and just, you know, because there are subtle improvements for most industries. I think the USITC report reported, um, you know, marginal benefits 
But um, I, I can start with why it's an improvement from NAFTA for our industry, at least from the specialty chemical manufacturing perspective. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the modernized chemical rules of origin. So the simplicity of the new process rules are a major improvement for the industry. Um, just proving that originating content is simplified. Uh, for example, the chemical reaction rule, it, it's a process uh, which results in a molecule with a new structure. Um, that wasn't in NAFTA 1.0. So uh, also the need, uh, the lack of need to determine regional value content to confer, to confer origin is a, is a big plus. Um, so rules of origin, I'm sure everyone's familiar, but just in case I'll, it's just rules that require a product to include a certain percentage of originating content. So again, the, the new chemical reaction rule, um, it's that process which includes a biochemical reaction um, that results in a new in a molecule with a new structure, basically. And it breaks those intramolecular bonds and it forms new intramolecular bonds. Or, or it basically alters the spatial arrangement of atoms in a molecule. Um, so that wasn't an option before. So that's great news for U.S. industry. Um, there's also a chemical sector annex um, that lists specific opportunities for enhanced cost efficiencies, for example, um, risk assessment cooperation, promoting GHS alignment, uh, the development of chemical inventory. So, I mean, we really do, as an industry, have skin in the game here. Uh, and then also adequate protection of CBI, uh, just, just vital to the industry. And USMCA offers the gold standard, really, when it comes to secure data flows and uh, data storage provisions in a trade deal. So, right. Uh, we also we also advocate for the elimination uh, to eliminate the prohibition on the use of duty drawback, uh, you know, similar to provisions found in free trade agreements executed after NAFTA, but um, Lighthizer, uh, USTR Lighthizer disfavored that. So um, it, it would have allowed specialty chemical manufacturers to receive refunds on duties paid uh, on imported chemical inputs. Um, and what are the so that, what, are, what are the dates for the USMCA? Um, just so everyone's familiar, is it fully enacted? Is it is it still being reviewed? What's the what's the situation on that? Right. So um, there's this thing called a Trade Promotion Authority, which kind of sets out a timeline of things that need to happen. So according to that TPA timeline, the Trump administration still needs to submit to Congress uh, the final text of the deal and a statement of administrative action. So both those texts um, got to be sent 30 days before the implementing legislation of USMCA can be submitted to Congress. So originally, uh, the idea was, um, you know, May, June 2019, indefinitely um, before August recess. But it's in, it, you might see um, Chairman Grassley or whomever on the Hill saying, look, if this doesn't happen in 2019, it's not going to happen in 2020. In an election year, so this we really need to get going here. Yep. Um, so it's, I mean, the agreement still has to get through the ratification process in Canada and Mexico, but um, the the prospect of resistance in the U.S. is is really the big question mark. Um, and I I can briefly touch on what House Democrats want to see, if you'd like. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Um, and just free trade agreements in general require majority support in the House and Senate. You know, Senate won't be an issue, but House Democrats are concerned with um, Mexican labor reform, implementation, environmental protections, and biologics. So um, increased data exclusivity that Democrats say uh, it, it would just reduce generic drugs and lead to higher drug prices. Um, but lots of uh, conflicting uh, feelings on that. So regarding labor in Mexico, um, Ms. Pelosi and other Democrats, you know, they voted for NAFTA in 1993, um, but, you know, they thought its labor for provisions basically weren't effective. So now, even though the Mexican Senate has passed the necessary legislation the other week, um, which was a really important step to getting USMCA across the finish line, uh, Democrats just want to see Mexico fully implement this. There's an annex in the deal that just requires the country to let workers um, freely organize so um, they just want that proper enforcement. Got it. Um, I mean, uh, you know, another piece of it is the uh, steel and aluminum tariffs holding up ratification. Um, I think we are getting closer to resolving those tariffs. I mean, you know, last year, uh, 
a Dow executive said that steel accounted for uh, roughly 20% of the cost of, you know, six billion dollar uh, petrochemical pro- project in the Gulf Coast. So um, certainly for commodity manufacturers, it's a big deal. Um, and I guess based but, on based on what you're seeing with all those the different situations with with the steel tariffs with the Mexican labor issues. Um, do you, does is Sockman's position or is your position that you think something will get done in the next couple of weeks or months to to beat the August re, uh, recess or you know, are, are we on track for that or is it going to be a, a tight squeeze? It's going to be a tight squeeze, man. <laughs> yep, very tight squeeze. And you know we need to resolve China. That's it's kind of uh, Lighthizer is being pulled in all directions now. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the biggest takeaways I would say, you know, from anyone that's listened to this whole podcast start to end, uh, is there is a lot of different situations going on. Pretty much every region of the world has some type of trade, um, issue or change or legislation going on. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of different aspects going on globally and it's hard to say which are more important than others. They all certainly play a role in each other and obviously with their own, uh, that, that, that situation specifically for each of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, I'm shocked at USTR's bandwidth and their ability to keep up so far. Um, but um, I mean, any, yeah, I, I think I think we just covered whatever it was five or six different topics. You know, any one of these topics alone would be a, a massive deal. And now we got you know, there's there's six of them going on at the same time. It's a pretty amazing kind of bandwidth of things going on throughout the world. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, Lighthizer is actually going to. Uh, testify later this month. So I'm sure lawmakers are anxious to hear uh, what the administration's plans are to address those labor, you know, environment, drug price concerns. Um, And that's later this month. So um, keep an eye out for that. And I mean, SOCMA in general, we're just working with coalitions on the Hill of um, with various trade groups and also urging members, you know, call the offices of their lawmakers, particularly uh, trade focused freshmen and show support for the deal and just uh, really move the deal this year before 2020 elections. Right, right, sure thing. Um, wrapping things up, any um, resources or things that stand out that you'd like to get across um, for you know, anybody from other um, trade groups, other you know, domestic manufacturers, uh, chemical distribution companies, you know, any, any groups of people, um, you know, anything big that you would recommend as resources um, for people to be aware of and, and checking you know, maybe not daily, but weekly or monthly to, to get really good info and, and up-to-date info on these, these big topics that are going on? Um, you know, I mean, Politico Trade puts out good, um, you know, it's not chemical-focused, but sure. if you're looking for high-level trade issues, they do a, a morning email. And, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many member alerts we've put out in the last few weeks, you know. Um, so, obviously, trade groups, um, if you don't have – adequate staff internally to deal with these issues. That's uh, really what trade groups are meant for. So, um, and, you know, it really helps when Ben and the chemical company have um, resources like this to uh, get members in the know. So really appreciate your letting me on here, Ben. Yeah, I appreciate having you. A lot of, a lot of good info and really strong update on a lot of the different situations that were going on. Um, I'm sure most people listening are aware of at least a couple of them, um, but I'm sure there are probably some new uh, some some new trade deals and, and issues going on and things that people weren't aware of. So a great overview on kind of the full worldwide trade issues um, and, and situations. So appreciate you having you. Um, what's the what's the best way to get in touch with you, or or maybe if someone's interested in learning more about Sakma and getting involved with Sakma, how does how does one do that? Yeah, um, I think my email and phone number is going to be. Um, coupled with the podcast, so that works. Um, or feel free to check out our website, email our government relations team. Um, I- any other ways, we'll um, facilitate kind of any other things, you know, whether it's uh, tariff lists or um, chemical annexes or um, appendixes to the U.S. tariff schedule, we'll facilitate all that. So Great. feel free to call your email. Yeah, again, thank you. Thank you for the time. We appreciate you sitting down this morning. It was hopefully an insightful episode and I'm, I'm looking forward to the feedback on it um, and maybe plan on having you back in a couple months to give an update on, on all the different situations going on. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm sure things will, you know, have changed. So that's a good idea. Yeah. Thanks again, Matt. Look forward to having you. Um, and just once again, obviously, this podcast is available wherever you do stream your podcasts from. Um, we're on the Apple Podcast Store. Uh, if you have an Android, we're on the Google Play Store. Um, you can stream the audio right from YouTube. Um, a lot of our episodes, especially the newer ones, have um, a video recording behind it. Obviously, this one with Matt being down in the D.C. area um, is just audio only, but you can stream it right on YouTube. Um, we'll have a post on all our social media, the chemco.com slash podcast. Uh, so try to make it as readily available as possible. Um, obviously, please check out the Sakma website as well and get in contact with Matt uh, wherever you're streaming this podcast. Just scroll on down. We'll have his email and phone number right there to make it easy for you. Uh, Matt, thank you once again, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Okay, sounds good. Thanks again, Ben. Thanks, everyone.